Section six of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume one continued. Shall I own my weakness to you, my dear Cecilia? I was ready to melt into tears. My spirits, exhausted by sickness, were not proof against this unexpected blow. A heavy sigh burst from my heart that gave me a little relief. You know my mother is rigid in her notions of virtue, and I was determined to show her that I would endeavour to imitate her. I therefore suppressed the swelling passion in my breast, and with as much composure as I could assume, told her I thought she acted as became her, and that with regard to Mr. Falkland, my opinion of his conduct was such that I never desired to see him more. This answer dictated perhaps by my female pride, for I will not answer for the feelings of my heart at that instant, was so agreeable to my mother that she threw her arms about my neck and kissed me several times, blessing and calling me by the most endearing names at every interval. Her tenderness overcame me, or, to deal with sincerity, I believe I was willing to make it an excuse for weeping. "'Oh, my dear mother!' cried I. I have need of your indulgence, but indeed your goodness quite overpowers me. My dear love, said she, you deserve it all, and more that is in your mother's power to show you. What a blessed escape have you had, my sweet child, from that wild man. Little did I think, my Sydney, when I told you the story of my first disappointment, that a case so parallel would soon be your own. With respect to you and me, indeed, the incidents are nearly alike, but there is a wide difference between the two men. My lover had the grace to repent, and would have returned to his first engagements if a dreadful malady had not overtaken him. But this graceless Falkland persists in his infidelity, and would make you as culpable as himself. I own to you, daughter, that the recollection of that melancholy event which happened to me has given me a sort of horror at the very thoughts of a union between you and Mr. Falkland. You remember the sad consequences which I related to you of an infidelity of this kind. The poor forsaken woman died of grief, and the dishonest lover ran mad. Think of this, my child, and let it encourage you to banish such an unworthy man from your heart. I was afraid your regard for him might make this a difficult task, but I rejoice to find your virtue is stronger than your passion. I loved as well as you, but I overcame it when I found it a duty to do so. And I see your mother's example is not lost upon you. The honest pride that my mother endeavoured to inspire me with had a good effect, and kept up my spirits for a time. She told me she was sure that Sir George would quarrel with us both when we came to talk upon the subject of the marriage, but she was entirely easy as to that now she knew my sentiments corresponded with her own. You know my mother has ever been despotic in her government of me, 
and had I even been inclined to dissent from her judgment in a matter of this importance, it would have been to no purpose. But this was really far from my thoughts. I was as much disgusted with Mr. Falkland as she was, and as heartily pitied the unhappy young creature whom he had undone. You may recollect, my dear, that my mother, though strictly nice in every particular, has a sort of partiality to her own sex, and where there is the least room for it, throws the whole of the blame upon the man's side, who from her own early prepossessions she is always inclined to think are deceivers of women. I am not surprised at this bias in her. Her early disappointment, with the attending circumstances, gave her this impression. She is warm and sometimes sudden in her attachments, and yet it is not always difficult to turn her from them. The integrity of her own heart makes her liable to be imposed on by a plausible outside, and yet the dear good woman takes a sort of pride in her sagacity. She had admired and esteemed Mr. Falkland prodigiously. Her vexation was the greater in finding her expectations disappointed. And could I have been so unjust to the pretensions of another, or so indelicate in regard to myself as to have overlooked Mr. Falkland's fault, I knew my mother would be inflexible. I therefore resolved in earnest to banish him from my thoughts. I found my mother was mightily pleased with her own management of the conversation she had held with Mr. Falkland. I think I talked pretty roundly to him, said she, but there was no other way. He is an artful man, and I was resolved not to let him wind me about. He would make a merit of having formed no designs upon the young lady. Why, possibly he did not, till he found the poor soul was so smitten with him that he thought she would be an easy prey. Sir George impudently insinuated that a man must not reject a lady upon these occasions. I was ashamed to hint to Mr. Falkland at the circumstance of his actually having paid a price for the girl. It was too gross, and I think, had I mentioned it, must have struck him dumb, though very likely he might have had some subterfuge even for that aggravating part of the story. How I am shocked, my Cecilia, to think of this! I was glad my mother had spared his confusion on this particular, for, though probably, as she observed, he had come prepared with some evasion to this charge, yet what a mean figure must a man make who is reduced to disingenuous shifts to excuse or palliate an action despicable as well as wicked. My brother came in during our discourse to ask me how I did. My mother answered his question before I had time to speak. She is pretty well, thank God, and not likely to break her heart, though she knows your friend Mr. Falkland's story, and she spoke it scornfully. My brother said, Sidney, are you as adverse to Mr. Falkland as my mother is? I replied, Brother, I wonder you can ask me that question after what you have been just now told. I always said, answered he, that you did not know the value of the man, and now I am convinced of it. I wish he had never seen you. I wish so too, 
said I. Sir George walked about the room and seemed vexed to death. For heaven's sake, madam, turning to my mother, now my sister is tolerably recovered. Suffer her to see Mr. Falkland. Let her hear what he has to say in his own vindication. I think you may trust to her honour and her discretion. And if the affair appears to her in so heinous a light as it does to you, I will be contented to give Mr. Falkland up. But don't shut your own ears, and your daughter's too, against conviction. Sir, you are disrespectful, said my mother angrily. Dear brother, I cried, I beg you will spare me on this subject. My mother has given me leave to judge for myself. She has repeated all that you have said, and all that Mr. Falkland has been able to urge on the occasion. And I am sorry to tell you that I think myself bound never to have any further correspondence with him. Therefore you must excuse me for not seeing him. And so the matches broke off, cried Sir George. It is, said my mother peremptorily. It is, echoed I faintly. Why, then? replied sir george and he swore you will never get such another while you live a pretty figure you'll make in the world when you give it for a reason that you refuse such a man after everything was concluded upon because truly you found that he had had an intrigue why sydney you'll be so laughed at he addressed himself to me though i knew he meant the reproof for my mother sir answered she neither your sister nor i shall trouble ourselves much about the opinion of people who can laugh at such things you may put the matter into as ridiculous a light as you please but this was no common intrigue you know it was not however you may affect to speak of it i don't suppose any of you are saints but i trust in heaven some are better than others oh madam madam said my brother if you knew the world as well as i do you would think that mr falkland is one of the best god forbid my mother answered coolly well well madam cried sir george i see it is to no purpose to argue there are many families of more consequence than ours and ten times the fortune that will be very proud of Mr. Falkland's alliance, and will hardly make it an objection to him that he was led into a foolish scrape by the wickedness of one woman and the folly of another. If you make my sister wait for a husband till you find a man who never offended in that way, I think, mother, you had better take a little boy from his nurse, breed him up under your own eye, and by the time Sydney is a good motherly gentlewoman, you may give her the baby to make a plaything of. For my own part, I am heartily sorry I ever interfered. People of such nice scruples had better choose for themselves. But I can't help thinking that both Falkland and I are very ill-used. I told you, said my mother to me, how he would behave. Sir George, I desire you will not distress your sister thus. She saw me sadly cast down. I was ill and weak. If you have no respect for me, have a little tenderness for her. I beg your pardon, child, said he. I did not mean to distress you. 
I pity you indeed, Sidney. I could have cried at his using that expression. It humbles one so. Madam, to my mother, you shall be troubled no farther by my friend or myself. All I shall say is this, that whenever my sister gets a husband of your ladyship's choosing, I wish she may have half the worth of the poor rejected Falkland. My brother left the room with these words. My mother was downright in a passion, but soon cooled on his withdrawing. My spirits were quite fatigued, and my mother left me, that I might take a little rest. What a strange alteration have a few days produced! Our domestic peace broke in upon by that unlucky difference between my mother and my brother. My near prospect of, of, oh, let me be ingenuous and say happiness, vanished. Poor Mr. Falkland. Poor do I call him, for shame, Sidney. But let the word go, I will not blot it. Mr. Falkland forbid the house, myself harassed by a cruel disorder, and hardly able to crawl out of bed. All this has fallen on me within these last fourteen black days. Then I dread the going abroad or seeing company. I shall look so silly, for the intended wedding began to be talked of, and the curiosity of people to know the cause of its being broke off. What wild guesses will be made by some, and what lies invented by others? Then the ill-natured mirth of one half of the girls of my acquaintance, and the as-provoking condolments of the other half. I am fretted at the thought of it, but it cannot be helped. I must bear it all. I wish I were well enough to get into the country to be out of the reach of such impertinence. I long to know who this ill-fated girl is that has been the cause of all this. A gentlewoman and very pretty, one that loves Mr. Falkland and will shortly make him a parent. Thus my mother described her to Mr. Falkland, and he assented to it. Oh, fie! Fie, Mr. Falkland, how could you be so cruel to her? How could you use me so ill? And Sir George knew of all this and makes light of it. It is a strange story. My mother is severe in her virtue, but she is in the right. My brother would sacrifice every consideration to aggrandise his family. To make a purchase of the unhappy creature, and that without her knowledge too, it is horrid. Away, away from my thoughts, thou vile intruder. Return to your bath, mistress. She has a better right to you than I have. She implores your pity. She has no refuge but you. And she may be every way preferable to me. I wish I knew her name. But what is it to me? Mine will never be Falkland. Hers ought. Perhaps Mr. Falkland may be induced to marry her when he sees her in her present interesting situation. He says he will provide a retreat for her. To be sure, he will have the compassion to visit her, and then who knows what may happen. If I know my own heart, I think I do most sincerely wish he may make her his wife. But then I would not choose to have it known suddenly 
That might look as if he forsook me for her. That, I own, would a little hurt my pride. I wish not the truth to be known for Mr. Falkland's sake, but then I should not like to have a slur thrown on me. I will add no more to this, but send the packets off at all events. I think I will find you at Paris. August the 1st. My health promises to return. My mother praises me and calls me a heroine. I begin to fancy myself one. Our pride sometimes stands in the place of virtue. Sir George went to Richmond yesterday. We have scarce seen him since the tiff he had with us the other day. What strange creatures these men are, even the best of them, and how light they make of faults in one another that shock us but to think of. My mother takes his behaviour very ill. He stayed all night with his friend and returned to town this morning. He only looked into my room to ask me how I did. My mother was sitting with me. I believe that hindered him from coming in, for he looked as if he wanted to speak to me. He bowed to my mother, but said not a word. He went abroad again as soon as he was dressed, and did not come in till late. I fear his conduct will oblige us to separate, for my mother will not brook any liberties to be taken with her. She hinted as much, and said she believed Sir George was tired of living regularly. She anticipated the request I intended to make of her, of letting me go out of town, for, she said, as soon as I was able, I should remove into the country for a while. Sydney Castle is too long a journey for me at present to think of undertaking, and she talks of going into Essex on a visit to Lady Grimston, which we have long promised her. I shall like this better than going down to Wiltshire, where the want of my Cecilia would make my old abode a melancholy place, especially at this juncture. August the 4th. Sir George continues sullen and cold to us. He never has had an opportunity of saying anything particular to me since the day he said so much. My mother scarce ever leaves me. He seems nettled at this. I believe he would endeavour to work on me, as he knows the attempt would be in vain regard to her. As I am now well enough to receive the visits of our intimate acquaintance, I am never without company. I am really in pretty good spirits, and bear my disappointment, as I told you I would, very handsomely. I never hear Mr. Falkland's name mentioned, no more than if such a man did not exist. We are to set out for Lady Grimston's house on Tuesday. It is but twenty miles from London, and I am already strong enough to bear a longer journey. My mother told Sir George that, if he liked it, the house we are now in was at his service during her time of it, of which there are some months to come, for she said she meant to go directly home from Essex. Sir George thanked her, but did not say whether he would accept of her offer or not. August the 5th. I have been obliged to turn away my poor Ellen. She was so imprudent as to receive a letter for me from Mr. Falkland's man, contrary to my mother's express commands. She brought it to me, and I gave it to my mother unopened, 
who put it directly into the fire without reading it, and told me it would oblige her if I would part with the servant who had presumed to take it after her prohibition. I instantly obeyed, and have just discharged her. I should have a sad loss of her, only I am in hopes of having her place well supplied by an old acquaintance and playfellow of ours. Poor Patty Maine. Her father is dead, and she is obliged to go to service, for he has left a widow with six children. The eldest son, you remember, served his time to his father, and is just now setting out in business. But a young surgeon in a country town must take some time to establish himself, though he is a very worthy youth, and I hear clever in his profession. Patty came to town last week with a lady from our neighbourhood, who applied to my mother to recommend the girl to wait on some person of fashion. My mother has been looking out for a suitable place for her, but she told me to-day she thought I could not do better than take her to myself. I shall be very glad to have her, for she is an amiable young woman. August the 6th we go out of town at seven o'clock to-morrow morning, as we are to dine at Grimston Hall, and purpose going at our leisure. I will steal a few minutes from sleep, though it is now very late, to give you a short scene which passed in my chamber about an hour ago. Sir George, who according to his late custom had been abroad all day, came into my room, where my mother and I were sitting together. He asked us, did we hold our purpose of going out of town next day? Yes, certainly, my mother said. And you intend going from Lady Grimston's to Sydney Castle? We do. Then, madam, to my mother, as it is the last trouble you are likely to have from Mr. Falkland, I hope you will not refuse to read this letter which he has sent you. And he took one out of his pocket and presented it to her. She did not make an offer to receive it, but answered, Sir George, it is of no purpose for Mr. Falkland to solicit me. You know I don't easily alter my resolutions when once they are fixed. He has given himself an unnecessary trouble. Pray excuse me. It was not handsome of him to write to my daughter after he knew my sentiments. "'You need not be afraid of fresh solicitations, madam,' said my brother. "'I knew enough of your firmness,' and he spoke the word firmness reluctantly, as if he would rather have used another, perhaps less respectful term. "'I knew enough to assure Falkland there was not the least hope left for him, and though I do not know the subject of that letter,' I can venture to assure you it is not intended to move you in favour of his pretensions. This he declared to me before I would take the letter from him. But what puts it past doubt is that he set out this very evening from London in order to embark for Germany. I could not help breathing a sigh when Sir George said this, but nobody heard me. He still held the letter in his hand, and again offered it to my mother. "'You need not be afraid of it, madam. I presume it may be no more than to take a civil leave of you.' "'I wish him well,' 
said my mother, taking the letter. If that be all, what he says may keep cold. And she put it into her pocket without opening. This being the eve of our journey, some little domestic matters which my mother had to settle called her out of the room. Sir George took that opportunity to ask me whether my mother had showed me the letter which he had received from Mr. Falkland while he was at Bath relative to that cursed affair, as he called it. I told him my mother had repeated great parts of the contents of it to me, and that the principal observation she had made was not favourable to him, on account of his being made the confidant of such an affair. "'I am very sorry for your sake, Sidney,' said he, "'that our mother is of so inflexible a temper. "'You have lost by it.' what you will have reason to regret as long as you live. Such amazing obstinacy, such unaccountable perverseness. I do not want to shake your filial obedience, but I, for my own part, think that nothing but infatuation can account for your mother's conduct. Does she want a man without passions? Or have you filled your head with such chimerical notions as to I interrupted him, for my brother is not always nice in his choice of words. Dear Sir George, say no more. I am very well contented as I am. I will not increase your uneasiness, said he, by telling you what Falkland has suffered on this occasion. If ever love was carried to adoration, it was in the breast of that generous, charming fellow. But you have lost him, and I have lost him thanks to my wise, scrupulous mother for that. I begged of him to drop the subject. My mother came into us again. Sir George bid us good night and wished us a good journey. The parting was cool enough. I am glad, however, there is not a total rupture. I believe he will continue in our house in town for a time at least. Patty Maine, who gladly accepted of the offer of my service, came home to me this evening. She has grown very tall and genteel. I hardly know how to treat her as a servant, but the good girl is so humble that she does all in her power to make me forget that I ever knew her in a better situation. But in this she fails of her purpose, for it only serves to remind me the more strongly of it. She is so ready and so handy that she does twenty little offices that do not belong to her place and which are not expected of her. My mother is exceedingly pleased with her and says it is such a happiness to have about me a young person virtuously brought up that she almost considers her as one of the family. End of section 6